This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, uh, says in the King James something to the effect that uh, through, uh, through desire a man separates himself and intermeddles with all wisdom. Now, the, the positive side of that is pretty easy to see. It means that it's only through a man's heart desire that he's going to separate himself from the things of the world and therefore seek out the wisdom of God, which is the Word. In other words, it's this desire that causes you to choose to renew your mind to the Word. It's an inward hunger. It's a, a spiritual hunger or a spiritual thirst. It's something that comes from the inside that, that in a positive way causes you to, to seek out and join yourself to the wisdom of God. But there's a negative side to this too. Let me read this to you from some other translations, or at least I'll pick one anyway. Um, oh, here's one. The American Standard Version says it this way, and this is an accurate translation. The, the translators, any given time the translators had to choose, do we, do we interpret this positively or negatively on some of the, the Proverbs? So here's what it says in the American Standard. He that separates himself seeketh his own desire and rages against all sound wisdom. You know what that means? That means when somebody's offended... They separate themselves, and no matter what sound wisdom you can give them, no matter what scripture you can show them, unless they choose to release that offense, they are going to argue against everything and everybody. You'll find that people that get offended take this persecution complex. You remember the story of Cain and Abel? It's a, it's a real interesting story uh, if you look at it from this context. Uh, Cain and Abel both brought sacrifices under the Lord. The sacrifice that was required by God was an animal sacrifice. Abel was a, a farm or was a, a, a rancher. He was a shepherd, and so he brought a lamb. His sacrifice was accepted. Cain was a farmer, and so he brought his sacrifice that was the fruit of the field and the crops and stuff like this. And, and because there's no blood to offer as a sacrifice, it was not accepted. Well, Cain was really upset about it, and God spoke to him and he said, "What are you upset about?" If you do the right thing, you'll be accepted. And if you won't, you won't. If you don't do the right thing, then you won't be accepted. What are you upset about? Well, Cain then killed his brother. Now, here's what happens when people get offended. Cain's greatest fear, what he was guarding against, was being rejected, against, rejected by God. Well, what did he do? He did something that was a lot harder than Abel did. Abel just brought something that was born of a sheep. Now, certainly there's work to take care of the sheep, and it was uh, to the sheep, the sheep, and, uh, and, and, and he, he cared for it, and he was a good shepherd and stuff like that, and so it was something that was precious to him, but he didn't give birth to the sheep, to the lamb. He didn't do the work. What did Cain do? Cain had to clear the field of rocks and stumps and all that stuff. He had to plow the field. He had to plant the crops. He had to tend the crops. He had to water the crops. It took Cain a lot more effort to bring his sacrifice than it did Abel to bring the one that he brought. So it had nothing to do with works. It had nothing to do with, with natural manual effort. It had everything to do with what was required, and what was required was blood. So Cain, because he got offended, what happened? He was rejected of God. His sacrifice was rejected. It's what he was trying to avoid to begin with. But now he's rejected of God, and God's given him a chance. He's saying, go get your lamb. All you've got to do is the right thing, just like your brother did. And so Cain, because of his offense, he turned around and killed his brother. Literally, he sacrificed his brother on the altar instead of a lamb. He said, you want blood? Okay, I'll give you blood. And then God calls him on it. 
He said, where's your brother? He said, I'm not my brother's keeper. What are you asking me for? God knew what had happened. Cain knew what had happened. And God said, your brother's blood cries up to, from the ground. And God said to, uh, to Cain, matter of fact, let me, let me read this to you. It's from Genesis chapter 4. This is a, a real interesting, well, to me anyway. I think it's got some significance for us. I'll start in verse 10. And he said, here's God speaking to, to Cain after he asked him, my, my brother's keeper. And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive the brother's blood from thy hand. When you till the ground, here's the result of your actions because you got offended. When you till the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. In other words, your good farming days are over. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Now, the word vagabond means traveler. Folks, you've got a lot of spiritual vagabonds because they've been offended, and the way that they've responded to that offense has caused them to, re, to, um, to I don't want to say reject, it's caused them to forfeit the blessings of God in their life. So what does Cain do? Notice what Cain does. God says you'll be a fugitive and a vagabond. Cain says unto the Lord, verse 13, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. Just like you said, but notice what he adds. He said, And it shall come to pass that everyone that finds me shall slay me. Folks, people that are persecuted or people that are offended get this persecution complex. They become victims, and they stay victims forever until they release that offense. That's what Psalm, uh, Proverbs 18.1 is talking about. Let me read it to you again from the American Standard. He that separates himself seeks his own desire. Well, what's that own desire? Their offense. The only reason anybody can, holds on to an offense is because they want to. He that separates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all sound wisdom. That's why we read, uh, maybe it was last Sunday, we read where Paul told Timothy that the servant of God must be gentle, able to teach, and in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God will by perchance give them what they need to recover themselves from the snare of the devil. The only way you can be recovered from the snare of the devil, which is offense, is for you to choose to be released. God can't release you. Other people can't release you. They can tell you the truth. They can teach you the word. They can show you what the Bible says. But only if you choose and decide to let go of the offense will that offense ever be dealt with. That's why it's the devil's trap. And he's got so many people trapped. So many people's trapped. God answers Cain and says, I'll put a mark on you so that anybody that does something to you will have to answer to me for it. That mark that so many people carry through their lives in this persecution thing, everybody's against me, is offense. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Here's why the Word of God is the power of God, because it reveals God's will. 
when you can find God's words on a subject, whether it's healing, whether it's finances, whether it's peace, whatever area you have need of, you find what God's word says, you've just found God's will in that area. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. I, um, most of you know, the uh, at least some of the times, you've heard me say things about the time that I spent with Brother Hagen, working with him in the crusade department and, and um, the just the opportunity I had to learn from him. It was the greatest opportunity to learn about the things of God that I've ever had. Brother Hagen taught me to know God, literally. I was already saved, had been saved a long time before I went there. I went to school in Tulsa, but he taught me how to know God for myself. And um, what greater thing can you learn? In in my opinion, there is nothing more. But the time that I worked there, about the last uh, year when I was there, um, there was somebody there that was on staff at the ministry that... um, for whatever reason, they, I was told, I don't know this firsthand, but I was told that they wanted to take my place on the crusade team. And so this person that had another staff position uh, started telling people that were over me there at the ministry lies about things that I'd said and things that I was trying to do. And um, stuff like that's not supposed to happen in the ministry. I mean, we all love God, right? If it weren't for those nasty Christians, then things would work out the way they're supposed to, wouldn't they? But Christians are human. They have jealousies. They have envy and, and different things like that, just like everybody else does. Well, things started changing for me there at the ministry. Brother Hagen quit traveling. There was a, a period of time uh, during, that, uh, uh, during that year that, uh, that, that he tried to do some different things or different ways, and so he wasn't traveling very much anyway, but um, they started shifting my job. They took me out of crusades and put me in, a, in another position, and I said, well, okay, if that's, if that's where I can help you better, then okay. I already knew Dad wasn't going to be traveling much, so that helped soften the blow a little bit. And uh, still had an opportunity to be around him. Still was going over to his house and different things like that, so still had a relationship, so I'm, I'm fine, you know, not jumping up and down happy, but okay, whatever you say. But then they gave me a job, and the job basically is don't do anything. And so I I thought, for a little while, I thought, well, okay, they must have something in mind that they're waiting to come around. And then I realized they didn't have anything in mind. And so I'm getting more and more and more frustrated, and all the time what I didn't know was all the time behind the scenes this guy is starting to chip away and starting to tell more and more stories and, and lies about me and different things like that. And then when I found out what was going on, I hit the roof. My first thought is, bless God, we'll see how this thing turns out. I'll go to Brother Haken, and I'll let them know exactly what's happening. And the Lord told me, don't you dare. Are you kidding me? I've got this relationship with Brother Hagen, and I'm not supposed to use it? Seriously? You gave me this relationship. This has got to be why. Talking to the Lord. Well, come to find out, what I didn't know at the time, come to find out that Brother Hagen had not been the one to be told the stories, but they were told to other people, and then those other people told him, and he winds up thinking that what he's heard is true about me. Poor little old me. Never hurt anybody in my life. 
just love God, just serving God, never done anything wrong. <laughs> I'm sitting there having the biggest pity party you could imagine every day. I'm sure I'm making life miserable for Beth at home because she knows what's going on. She's what she's supposed to do, you know. She's working there too. She can't really say anything about it. Well, here's what happened. Brother Hagen went to a friend of ours and uh, and said, uh, I, I need you to, to help me pray about something. And this person said, okay, what do you need me to pray about? He said, well, it's about Mike. Well, she knew the situation because she was a good friend of Beth, had worked with Beth, and they worked in the same department. She knew everything that was going on. She knew everything that we knew, and she knew things from the other side. And so she said, Dad, there's nothing to pray about. Here's what's happening. So she told him the story. Well, I found out about that, and I thought, hallelujah, Dad's going to come in there, and he's going to save the day. He's going to get rid of these lousy people, and he's going to get me back to where I'm supposed to be, and it's going to be just right. And you know what happened? Nothing. <laughs> I guess Dad, I, I didn't never have talked to him about it. Before he went home to be with the Lord, I never talked to him about it. I don't know, but I assume knowing his personality, that he was looked at it like this is a fight that I don't want to start in the ministry. It'll ruin things and mess things up between a lot of different people. People start, start taking sides. I just don't want to do anything about it. So he didn't do anything about it. Well, now I'm even more hurt than I ever was. Because before, I could tell myself, Dad didn't know. Now he knows. So what am I supposed to do now? So I started praying. I said, Lord, I, I just I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to be here for another year but I don't know what to do. It's not right for me to take a paycheck from these people. I'm doing nothing. I'm producing nothing for them whatsoever. It's not right for me to take their money. But they won't fire me because then it'll make them look like they're, you know, the ones initiating it. I know they're waiting for me to quit. What do I do? I agonized over this. Man, I agonized over this. What do I do? Finally, the Lord spoke to me and he said, Mike, I'll bless you if you go and I'll bless you if you stay. I'd really kind of like some direction, Lord, you know, tell me one way or the other, you know. But that's what he said. I'll bless you if you go and I'll bless you if you stay. Well, for me, that really kind of answered the question. Within a short period of time, I said, look, it's dishonest for me to take their money. They know I'm not doing anything and I know I'm not doing anything. Why should they waste money on me? So I, I, I turned to my notice. I told him I was going to go. Now, here's, uh, here's what happened. Just very, very soon after I decided to go, there was somebody that came to my office that had been present when some of the original stories had been told. And he said, Mike, I know what's going on. He said, I, I'm, I, I was there. I heard what was said by the individual telling the lies to the people that are over me in authority there at the ministry. He said, I heard the whole thing. He said, if you want, I'll go with you to the people that are involved. And he said, I'll, I'll be a, a witness for you about what happened. Well, whether you realize it or not, that could have fixed everything. I've already made the decision that I'm going to go. As a matter of fact, I'd already turned in my notice. But now I get an opportunity. I can expose this guy for everything that he's done. I heard one of Brother Hagin's stories ringing in my ear all the time that I'm upset and mad and wanting to do something about it and, and know that I shouldn't. God didn't tell me I can't. I can I have the perfect opportunity. And folks, please understand, it's not the devil that brought this other guy into my office and said, I'm the witness. It's God that gave me the opportunity. Just like God gave David the opportunity to kill Saul when Saul was persecuting, he wouldn't do it. Twice he refused to do it. He said, I'm not going to be the one to kill the Lord's anointed. 
Well, Saul sure wasn't, King Saul sure wasn't acting like the Lord's anointed at the time, was he? He had just previously killed 85 priests, innocent people who thought David had come to their city, not as a fugitive, but on the king's mission. And they had been kind to him. They'd given him provisions. Saul killed the 85 priests and all the women and children and other men in the city. Wiped a city out. Now get this. Saul would not kill the Amalekites when God told him to. He kept the king and some of the the animals alive. But when it came to the innocent people that helped David, Saul's enemy, he wiped them out. David was justified. Would have been justified to do anything he wanted to do in it. He's the one that God anointed to be king after Saul. He's the one that's being persecuted. If he doesn't kill Saul, Saul's going to kill him. Saul has killed these innocent people. There's a lot of reasons that David could have given to justify taking Saul's life, but he wouldn't do it. Twice he had opportunities and wouldn't do it. I remember when I was frustrated about this situation, I remember hearing a replay in my mind, Brother Hagin telling the story of when he was on the road and people wouldn't take care of him. He said he went to one church and uh, he stayed at the parsonage, but they were never there. Nobody fixed him any food. There wasn't any food. uh, Well, there was one egg and one hot dog in there, and they ate the hot dog and fixed the egg, and that was it. That was all they had for three days. And he said he got so frustrated and so mad. This guy was part of the same denomination as him. He said he picked up the phone to call the the people in charge of the organization and tell them what kind of person they've got out here and stuff. He said every time the Lord checked him on the inside, he put it down, put the phone down. He said this, and these are the words that I've heard ringing in my ears ever since. He said a guy like that is going to make his own trouble. I'm not going to be the one to add to it. So I let it go. I didn't like it, but I let it go. Left the ministry, and I left, and everybody except just a handful of people thought that I left because I had been the one to create the problems, and now God has finally gotten rid of me. Not quite the way you wanted to leave in other people's minds. But you know how I left? Look with me to Isaiah chapter 55, or, yeah, 55. Let me show you how you should leave and and change from one place in your life to another. It says, for you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. How many people do you know that change, whether it be churches or jobs or whatever, and that's the way they go rather than being offended? Most people I know of change churches because they didn't like something that happened at their last church. And folks, hurt people hurt people. People that have been hurt hurt other people because they've got to tell other people about what happened to them. They've got to share their pain with other people, and it creates an offense in their other people's lives now too. It's something that spreads. But this is the way that you ought to leave things. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. I had the peace of God when I left. I had no idea what I was going to do. We, we went out on the road, but nobody wanted us. How are we going to live? Had no assurance of anything. Not only am I leaving my job, Beth quit and left her job too. So now we've got two incomes gone. How are we going to make it? If God's not in it, we're sunk. But God saw us through. We didn't have much extra. (laughs) Boy, we didn't have much extra. Some months we would just barely make it. But we made it. 
But I had such a peace. I had such a peace. I just knew that I was doing something that God would bless. Even though I knew it wasn't God's best. Now, please get this. I knew God's best was for me to stay there and finish out the assignment that I had been given with Brother Hagin. But somebody else had detoured that. And rather than fight this thing and try to make it work and, and struggle over the thing, I chose to leave. And I had such a peace. Let me close with this. I know I'm out of time. Let me close with this. You remember in Hebrews chapter 5, I'm going to read a scripture to you here. Turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 5 tells us something about Jesus. It says in verse 8, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, Though he, speaking of Jesus, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things or through the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that call or obey him. Can I ask you a question? What did Jesus have to learn? What in the world did Jesus have to learn? Two words are used in the New Testament for sons. They're both in Romans chapter 8. You remember the scriptures in Romans 8, uh, 14, where it says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 16, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. These words, sons and children, are two, di two different words. They're used throughout the New Testament to speak of children in some form or another, but they're two different words. The first word, son, means son by birth. The second word, son, is usually translated as a more mature son or a grown-up son. But it, it has a much greater meaning than that. It means this. When you have your kids, they are yours, they are your children, because they're your DNA. They're, bought in, they're, uh, they're brought into this world, born into your family. But the second word for son, the word that's usually used as a mature son, means a son that displays the character and the nature of his father. Now, if we go to the nursery, if somebody has a new baby and we go to the nursery, we don't know who's who unless they've got the, the cribs labeled. You can't tell the Jones kid from the, from the Webb kid from the anybody else's kid. Babies all look the same. They're not all the same, but they all look the same. But you start growing up, kids start growing up, you can tell who's whose son by the way they live their lives. They become like their fathers, at least they're intended to. That's what God's intent is. They become like their fathers. That's what this means in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the ones that display the character and the nature of their father. Children of God learn to be led by the Spirit. As we mature and display the character and the nature of God, we learn to display the character as we, as we learn to be led by the Spirit. Well, where is he going to lead us? He's going to lead us into peace. He's always going to lead us into peace. Did you find First Peter chapter 4? With that in mind, what did Jesus have to learn? He's already displaying the character and the nature of his Father. What did he have to learn? He had to learn obedience. How did he learn obedience? Through the things that he suffered in the flesh. Through the persecution, through the hard places. These are things that he learned before he ever got to the cross, because if he hadn't been obedient, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. He learned through his lifetime, his 33 years of life here on the earth, and his three years of ministry, he learned obedience. How did he learn it? Through the things that he suffered. Folks, suffering is not about suffering sickness. It's not about suffering disease. It's not about suffering poverty. It's not about suffering any of those things. It's about suffering circumstances of life to find out who God is and who you are. And that's something that is profitable for your spiritual development. 
That's the hardest thing for faith people to get. They think faith means everything's going to work out great. We'll always go higher and higher. Everything's going to be a step up. There'll never be a step back. There'll never be a hard place. It'll always be good. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. And then trouble comes and they fall flat on their face and don't understand why is this happening to me? I'm confessing the word. Guess why it's happening to you? Because you're confessing the word. And it's important for you to have these places. That's why James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse troubles. Because it's through that suffering of circumstances and suffering through things in this life. That's how we learn to be obedient when things are good and learn to be obedient when things don't look good. And you can't grow and develop spiritually unless you can be the same in every circumstance. That's what spiritual maturity really is. Not moved whether things look good or whether things look bad. God's the same either way. Find First Peter 4 yet? Notice what Peter said. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. What same mind? Well, remember Jesus was able to lay aside his heavenly power and glory and count himself equal with God. In other words, that he had all the, the resources of heaven at his disposal. He said, arm yourself with the same mind. The same mind of what? The same mind about suffering. The same mind about how to handle hard places in life. Why? Because that's how Jesus learned to be obedient, through the things that he suffered. How are we going to learn to be obedient? Through the things that we suffer. Again, we're not talking sickness or disease. That's not from God. We're talking about the circumstances of life. We're talking about the stuff that the devil brings against you to try to distract you from the truth of the word. That suffering is profitable for spiritual development. So he said, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. He that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You don't know how to overcome sin in your life? One of the ways to suffer in the flesh is to deal with offenses by holding fast to the word and walking in love. That's what David did. David refused to kill Saul even when he had two opportunities. In fact, when Saul finally died, somebody came to him and bragged that I was the one that killed him. And instead of David saying, boy, I'm glad you took care of that problem for me, David had him killed. He said, how is it that you were willing to kill the Lord's anointed? And he had him killed. And instead of pronouncing a curse upon Saul's family because of the way that Saul had mistreated him, he sought him out, he gave him an inheritance, and he provided for him all the days of their lives, even though they ran from him thinking that he would harm them. That's how we're supposed to suffer in the flesh. We're supposed to respond to offenses, we're supposed to respond to the things that people do against us with the love of God. Love pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It takes no account of the evil done unto it. That's why love covers a multitude of sins, folks. What that literally means is love passes up opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be offended. Love refuses to be ensnared with the devil's trap. Forgiveness is the real test of the love of God because people are going to offend us and we're going to get our feelings hurt. But forgiveness is about making a decision to let the love of God dominate us instead of walking according to how we feel. Thanks for being with us today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. You're looking at the problems in your body or the problems in your finances. What do you see? So many people are waiting for God to do something on their behalf. And they've got the life of God in them all the time. How much more abundant does the life of God that caused you to be born again have to be for your situation to change? Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.